How you guys doing today? Good. Well, I, um, I'm excited to get to continue on this series we started last week. Uh, really, this, this series is focused on what were the things that Jesus really taught out and encouraged in his disciples? What were those, those object lessons that, that were so important for him to build out in these guys over the, the three and a half years or so that, that he was with them? And I think it's vital, vital for all of us to think about this, right? We could all agree that, that those things that Jesus taught out with his disciples are, are deeply important for our own lives, right? These are the things that we want to be encouraging with our kids, that we want to be encouraging with our friends, that we want to be holding each other accountable to. And so last week, we, we looked at this idea of faith and how Jesus called the disciples out of the boat, right? And how he called Peter out of the boat. And I think that was an important place for us to start because if you think about it, if we don't trust in Jesus, if we don't have faith in Jesus, then, then why is it that we really care what it was he was teaching out with his disciples, right? If we don't trust him in the first place, then, then none of this, this series even makes sense. Um, but today we're going to turn our attention a little bit to uh, this other lesson that Jesus taught out his disciples. And it's this lesson of, of sacrifice. And I think this lesson, to me, as I was looking at it this week, really struck me that this is on the night that Jesus is betrayed, that this is one of the last kind of object lessons, the last things that he has time to, to build out with his disciples. And this is the lesson that he teaches them, a lesson on sacrifice. Now, obviously, everything that Jesus says, if we believe he is God, if we believe he uh, speaks with the authority of God, then everything he says is the word of God. But on the night he's betrayed, here he takes the disciples aside and he wants to, to teach them this illustration. And it just made me think of like all those kind of last bits of advice that we might get or have received, right? Maybe some of you who have sent kids off to college, you maybe you can think of like the last little bit of advice you said to your college-age student as they were heading out the door, right? Or if you, maybe for some of us, it's more like kindergartners, right? Don't chew on your pencils, whatever that bit of advice might have been. Um, my daughter races BMX races, right? And uh, when she was, she's six now, but when she was five, all the dads would be up in like the, up at the starting gate with their kids. And, and us dads were actually way more competitive than our four and five-year-old kids. They couldn't care one bit whether they won or lost, but we did. There was a lot of pride in this. And so it was always funny to me, us dads, we'd be up there on the starting gate and we would just be giving these long lectures, every little bit of advice, right? Like, okay, when you're going around, always make sure you get on the inside of the berm and I want you to, you know, hit the jumps. That's what, it's stupid, right? Uh, and then like, they're right up on the starting gate, they're ready to go. And I think we all realize how stupid we are and how we've just been yelling at our kids for five minutes. And so then we just turn and say, oh yeah, and make sure you're having fun. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, dad. Um, but I think in some ways, this is that kind of final talk Jesus is having with his disciples. He's saying, you guys, your world is about to get turned upside down. In 12 hours, you are going to experience fear and sorrow and loss, and you are going to be overwhelmed in a way you never thought possible. In fact, every part of yourselves is going to just want to pull in. You're going to just go into survival mode. And the last thing you are going to want to do is sacrifice. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I get into survival mode, like, I don't want to sacrifice for anybody. Like, I don't even want to do the dishes. If I got a little bit of a cold, like, that's an excuse enough for me, right? I'm like, uh-uh, I'm sick, right? And he's saying, hey, in the midst of this, 
when you are afraid, when you are scared, remember this. This is what matters. Um, and we see this. And we see also that, that Jesus, in these final moments, in verse 1 here that we're about to read, it says that this came out of a heart of love for his disciples. That he loved them so much that he had this conversation with them. And again, that, that kind of struck me as I think about Jesus, that he wasn't just some religious leader that was concerned about the legacy that he was leading, right? He wasn't just concerned that, that this religion that he had started would pass on after he left. He was deeply concerned for his disciples, and he knew that what underlined their life, what mattered most, was that they learned how to love, how to sacrifice, and how to give of themselves for others. So let's, this morning, let's jump into it. It's in the uh, act, I'm sorry, not Acts. It's in John 13. John 13, and we're going to read for a little bit here. So if you got your Bibles open. All right. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So here he starts. He knows his hour has come, yet his concern isn't for himself. It's for his disciples. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And when he had poured water into the basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you do not share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew the one who has betrayed him, that he, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put back on his outer garments and reserved his place, uh, resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for I am. If I then, in your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the, spirit, but the scripture will be fulfilled He who ate the bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one I send. So before we jump into this, I want to actually uh, take a moment and just look at this interaction that we see between Peter and Jesus. Because I think this interaction actually gets to some of the, this deep underlying theological um, kind of concepts that, that really make this whole passage that we need to keep in mind to, to look at any of this, 
right? So Jesus, he gets down, he starts washing the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter, and Peter, right, he does what we would probably all be thinking. No, no, absolutely not, Jesus. No, no, not my feet. No, I'll I'll wash yours, but no, no, not mine. And I love what Jesus says to him, because Jesus, uh, he doesn't say what you might think. He doesn't say, oh, come on, Peter, let me do this to you. It'll feel good. Or come on, Peter, if, if I don't serve you, then how are you going to learn to serve other people? That's, that's not at all what he says. What he actually says to him is, okay, if you don't let me do this to you, you can have no part in me. Like, that's, that's a pretty shocking statement, isn't it? Like, is Jesus, like, exaggerating? What, what exactly is he getting at here? So Peter, he kind of pushes back, right? He goes, okay, okay, fine then. If you're going to, if that's the way this is, wash all of me. Take me in, dunk me, whatever you need to do. Let's, let's do this, right? And then Jesus goes on to explain to him. He says, no, no, you've already been bathed here. He's really referring back to salvation, back to, to baptism. He says, you've been washed clean. I have given you salvation, but your feet are dirty. You've been walking around in this world. It's sinful. The brokenness of this world is, is, is rubbed off on you. And now you need to let me wash that away. You need to let me clean that. And that's sometimes what we call this process of sanctification, of God making us new, making us more and more like himself. And he wants Peter to understand that concept. And so the point we have here, and I'll explain it in a little bit more clearly, but that we can't wash our own wounds. And the second part here is that Jesus is essential not only for our conversion, but also our daily walk. See, the message that Jesus is getting at is this message of humility, this message of sacrifice, this message of giving to each other. But at one level, I don't think Peter fully got it because he didn't want to see God serving him. And I think there's an underlying issue that that he has to work through. And it's an issue that, that I think we all have to work through. That following Jesus requires this constant work in our life. It's, this, it's not just him giving us salvation. It's not just a one-time thing of us accepting Jesus. It's this ongoing process of letting him transform us. And I think Peter, at one level, he understood that. He knew that he needed Jesus for salvation. He knew that he wasn't good enough to, to be with God, to, to be perfect. So he knew he needed Jesus for that. But I think at some level, he wanted to kind of work the rest out on his own. He wanted to kind of figure it out. He wanted to kind of fix himself, so to speak. And I think many of us struggle with this idea, right? The idea of God working in our life on an ongoing basis, God listening to us, God convicting us of our brokenness, God pointing out the sins in our life, God caring about our daily needs. I don't know about you guys, but I recognize this in my own life when I quit praying for myself, right? When all my prayers are just involved with other people and what God should be doing for other people, but I don't stop and ask God for his wisdom, for his guidance, for his conviction, for his forgiveness in my own life. And at some level, I think that could be applauded as self-sufficiency, right? Oh, good. Nate's going to just take responsibility for his own actions. But I don't think that's the case at all. In fact, I think it's, it's utter arrogance and hubris that I think that I can do this life on my own, that I don't need God in my life. I mean, we live here in the Silicon Valley, right? We're surrounded by stories of guys who started in their garage and became self-made people and changed the world, right? And we love those stories. And those are great stories, but that's not the reality of how our Christian life works. Our Christian life is this constant humility that's coming back to God. 
And for me, I think one of the struggles I have with this is Jesus washing my feet in, in that sense is not always this cathartic feeling, right? I don't get home at the end of the day and kind of kick back and, okay, God, convict me of my sins. Show me where I'm broken. It doesn't work like that for me, at least. Most of the time, it feels a whole lot more like God is washing the dirt and the grime out of an open wound. You know what I mean? We, uh, my family, we live lifestyles that ends up having a lot of bloody knees, right? That's just, you know, whether we're riding bikes. Even my wife pretty often will come home with mud and dirt in her knees, right? And when my daughters get this, they always come running to us because they want us to like hug them and to give them affection and tell them it's going to be better. But what happens when you try to get and try to wash out a cut on your kids, right? What do they do? They pull back. They don't want it. Because the reality of it is the very reason that I'm the one that needs to do that is because they won't go through the pain and the suffering required to get the dirt out of their own knee, right? And I think that's kind of like what our our Christian life is, that we are not strong enough, we are not brave enough, we are not self-sufficient enough to fix ourselves. And part of the Christian walk is us submitting to our Savior and saying, God, wash my bloody knees. I'm broken, I'm sinful. You have given me salvation. Now restore me, make me into the image that you've designed me to be. And I think it's important we start here. Because if we don't start here, then this whole thing can just be about us kind of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, being better Christians, and sacrificing more and giving more to other people. And I think the posture is all wrong there. I think the posture starts from a place with saying, God, I need you. I'm submitting myself to you. Now teach me how to be humble. Teach me how to sacrifice. Teach me how to love. So maybe some of the questions we should be asking ourselves is, when was the last time we honestly invited Jesus to wash our wounds? When was the last time we we felt the sting of conviction in our life? We felt our sin and the guilt of that. When was the last time that we really asked for help, that we invited somebody to speak truthfully and honestly honestly into our life? So now let's kind of go from there and let's dive into the heart of what's going on in this text, right? So the disciples, they're, they're preparing for the Passover. Jesus has just come into town And there's the triumphal entry, right? Like he's coming into town and people are so excited about Jesus that they're taking their clothes off, they're cutting down palm branches and they're putting it on the ground so that the donkey's feet don't even get dirty when the donkey, the donkey that Jesus is riding on doesn't even get dirty. But at the same time, there's all these rumors, there's all this chaos, all this controversy going around because people are planning on killing Jesus. In fact, Judas has already made up his mind that he is gonna betray Jesus. So they get up into this upper room to have dinner. And all the disciples, they come into this room, and for whatever reason, they don't wash their feet. In fact, that would have been the the standard uh, custom, right? You would have walked into the house, and there by the door would have been a wash basin of some sort. And if it was a rich enough family, you would have uh, kicked back, and the servant would have washed up your feet. But if it wasn't, you would have been responsible to wash up your own feet and go in before you had dinner, right? But for whatever reason, we don't know. Maybe all the disciples were too proud to wash their own feet, or maybe they just overlooked it. Who knows what's going on? The text doesn't tell us. But they all come in, and they're all laying down on the floor. They just kind of lay down tables, and they're eating their food together. And right in the middle, Jesus stands up and starts doing something. So, Ted, you want to come up here? I roped Ted into this earlier. So... So if you want to actually just like recline here on the floor, just make yourself comfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'll work right there. Beautiful. Okay. So, um, so Jesus, he gets up from the table and he goes over and he grabs the wash bin. And I can imagine that when they first saw this, people were like, oh, I guess we should have washed our feet, but dude, we're halfway through dinner. Who, why, who cares? And then he takes off his coat and he wraps a towel around his waist. And at this place, people must have been a little bit overwhelmed. Right here, our teacher is. The one, if anything, we should be washing his feet. And now he gets down and he starts, he gets down to the, just relax, take, take a load off, man. Oh. <laughs> it didn't look relaxed at all. So he takes and he pours some water into a wash basin. And then he gently, laying kind of underneath his disciples, starts washing their feet, right? It's, it's warm, huh? Yeah, I warmed it up for you, right? And, and as he does that, he's washing off all the dirt, all the sweat, all the animal feces. Not your feet, but... <laughs> Yours are very nice. And then he moves on to the next foot. And then he goes down the line and washes each and every one of his disciples' feet. What an object lesson that must have been for them, right? Thanks, Ted. You're awesome. What a vivid picture that must have felt like for the disciples, to see their teacher. And in a culture that had a high power difference, right? In the U.S., we have a very low power difference. But, but in that time, a very big, you, you would never see that. And he comes and, and he lowers himself to wash their feet. Now, this isn't our culture. I don't think we can really fully understand it. I've never washed anybody's feet outside of maybe a church service like this. Yet, Jesus takes this thing and, and turns it on its head, a job that somebody should have been paid to do. He voluntarily does it. And I think the point is, is pretty obvious here. The point Jesus is trying to make is that sacrifice, that surrender, that giving up of oneself is essential for the Christian walk. He makes the point that if you're going to call me teacher, if you're going to call me Lord, and I'm getting down washing people's feet, you better be doing the same. That if you think these actions are beneath you, you think that you're too good for serving other people, you got it all wrong because you don't, aren't greater than the messenger, or the messenger, the one who's being sent, which are you guys, you're not greater than the one who sent you. And if I'm willing to do that, if I'm willing to stoop to this point, then you should too. The message here, it's, it's not very subtle, right? It's not very hard to understand. It's not hard to get my head around what it is Jesus is talking about. Yet it's really hard to actually practice, right? This idea that, that he is calling me to follow him in this example. For me, it's, there's a lot of things that Jesus does in the Bible, his miracles and some of the things he does. It's easy for me to kind of go, well, he was God. Remember that piece of it? So I couldn't possibly follow him in all that. But following him in humility and surrender, of giving up of himself, in fact, Philippians tells us that though he was in the form, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And said he gave up, became a human, dwelled among us. Ultimate sacrifice, servanthood. And I think we see throughout Jesus' life this underlying 
model that everything he does comes through this idea of sacrifice. And so in the same way, we should see that really as the underlying of what it means to be a follower of him is to be someone who sacrifices. Now, in our culture, um, we don't do a lot of feet washing, right? That's not something that comes up. So it's just, we're trying to think of what are some of the things, and, and these probably all fall short, but just ways in which small areas of sacrifice that, that become permeating in our lives. Like, have you ever been to somebody's house, like it may be at a dinner party or some sort of thing, and you see like the garbage can is overflowing, and everybody just kind of like piles their cups and stuff up on top of that till it becomes like the overflowing garbage pyramid. And nobody wants to be the one that picks up the trash and takes it out. I think the model we see here is Jesus, the honored guest, the respected one, taking out the trash. Or maybe it's the dinner comes to an end, right? And can you imagine if you had somebody, if you had Jesus over your house and dinner comes to an end and he hops up and runs into the kitchen and starts washing the dishes, what would you say, right? No, Jesus, no, 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 no. Come on, get out of the kitchen. Just sat, relax, you're too important. In the same way, sometimes I think we do that. We say, oh, I'll kind of pretend like I want to wash dishes, but I, I don't, I'm too, too important for that. Or I don't come from a, a family where serving tea is part of our culture, but maybe some of you do. And I can't imagine that somebody comes over, Jesus comes over to your house and you're having a conversation and all of a sudden Jesus goes into the kitchen and starts filling up the teapot and start serving everybody at the family, right? This would be taking some sort of common cultural thing, something that you would have done a hundred times, thousand times over the course of your life, and he totally redefines it to say in everything you do, whether it's washing dishes, whether it's washing feet, do it as a servant, do it in humility, do it for other people, not just for what it does for yourself. And I think this is something that is, is so hard for us. You know, in some ways, I think it can almost be more difficult for us as Christians because we've used this word sacrifice a lot in churches, right? It's kind of permeated a little bit of our Christian culture. And so we can do things that kind of on the surface, we kind of feel sacrificial, but in reality, if we examine our heart, they're not very sacrificial. Maybe an example of that is um, like if we were to have a, a, a big lunch or something like that over on the other side and the lunch gets over and I hop up and I start picking up plates there's a part of me, if I'm honest with myself, there's a part of me that's picking up all the plates around the table because I know that's the servant thing to do, right? And I know that if I do that, you guys will look at me and go, wow, he's a really good servant. He just really, right? And it's a challenge, like, to find ways that we're truly giving of ourselves, we're truly serving. But we realize that the intention matters. That's why if I buy my wife a bunch of flowers because I forgot her birthday... Those flowers aren't nearly as valuable as the flowers I buy her just because I love her. You get what I'm saying? And I think at the heart of who we are, people who are humble, that are looking for ways of serving out of, out of the intention of caring for somebody else, uh, of loving somebody, right? So what's our posture? How important do we hold ourselves? Do we consider ourselves the honored guest that needs to be treated well, that everybody else needs to, to honor our rights? Or are we the follower of Jesus that gives up our rights, that sacrifices, that puts ourselves under other people in all sorts of different ways? And again, as we think about these things, I think they challenge us. Now, as we launched in this series, this idea of Jesus invested, one of the things we really wanted to uncover was 
Okay, what were the things that Jesus really, the values that he really invested into his disciples? And when we look at those, okay, how can we apply those to our own lives? But also, how can we influence those in people that we're around? We're a church that believes very strongly that if you are a follower of Jesus, part of that calling is that you are to be an influence on other people, that it's not just about our own spiritual uh, growth, that we're a community and that we're investing into each other. We call that process discipleship. And so we want to look at this this question, too, of, of what is Jesus teaching us about how we should influence those within our community? How should we influence our kids, those in our small group, those who are in our life? And I think sometimes we do a really good job of talking about sacrifices churches and not as good of a job as being people who model sacrifice, right? It's one thing to tell, to preach sermons, to to prep small group lessons on how you should be sacrificial, but it's another thing to model it. And, And one of the things I see here is that sacrifice is really a primary tool for us as we look at discipleship. It's not just what we say, it's, it's how we live our lives. It's how we, how we do life with people so that they can see the work of God that is being done in our life. And that, I think, has a far more profound influence on people's lives than us just saying, hey, you need to sacrifice more. I worked at this restaurant one time, and at this restaurant I worked at, we had two managers when I was in college. Uh, we had these two managers, and one manager could not be bothered with the business of the restaurant, right? They spent their entire time just kind of kicking back in the office, playing solitaire, or I don't know what they were doing in the little office. We had this other manager named Obed, and I had the deepest respect for Obed, and I could not outwork Obed. It was like a, it was like a challenge I had, right? Like things would get slow at the restaurant, and we would start cleaning, right? And I remember I would just clean and I would try to find everything. I'd be like cleaning behind, you know, stuff and doing different things. And I would get done with everything I could possibly think to clean. And I'd go look for Obed and I'd find Obed in the back, like he'd pulled some piece of equipment off the wall and was cleaning up behind it. And I had a ton of respect. I wanted to work for Obed. I wanted to follow him because I saw the beauty of his work ethic. And I think in the same way as Christians, Our call is to be like Christ and to sacrifice and to give up. This should be the model of our life. This should be something that that people see in our lives, that that, that we are loving Jesus and it affects our actions. I think of this even as I think about my own daughters, right? Like if I'm going to parent my daughters, I can teach my girls what it means to sacrifice, but it's probably going to be a lot more valuable if they see me going across the street and mowing my elderly neighbor's yard or going out as a family to do an impact day together or hanging out with the lonely aunt and just talking. Or or as a small group, maybe the most important lesson we can give as a small group is not the one we spent all afternoon preparing, but is the, the things that we do together, the way that we serve each other, maybe the things that we go out, the activities we do, or maybe it's even just the way we treat that person in our small group that's difficult to love. And I think when we see that, we see really a beautiful model that that can be passed on through us, through sacrifice. Uh, Another kind of point I want to make here this morning is, as I was looking through this, just shocked that, that I think Christian sacrifice really has to be everything from token acts to a total life. And here's what I mean by that. If, If you were to look at the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I think you would look at that and say, okay, that's incredibly humble, that's incredibly sacrificial, but I'm not sure in and of itself that would be history-making. 
If 2,000 years ago, a guru washed some of his disciples' feet, I don't think we would still be talking about it today. What made that act so important, what made it so historical, was the fact that that happened, and not only did that happen, that that went all the way to Jesus dying on the cross. The ultimate act of sacrifice, that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus takes the time to show his disciples' sacrifice And he lives it out with every aspect of who he is. And sometimes we can get into the mindset that the Christian faith is just about doing some nice token acts. And these things are incredibly important because it's through these token acts that we are developed, that we are becoming more sacrificial, more Christ-like. But it's not just about doing one more good thing a day or even one more, 100 more good things a day. The call of the Christian life is to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. It is a total sacrifice of our life. And that is exactly what was modeled in the cross. It was everything. It was the total life. And so this, then, is something we can never check off our box, right? If the box was just wash somebody's feet every day, we could figure that out. If it was just to do dishes when we went home, we could check that box. But it's so much more than that. It involves everything of who we are. And it challenges me. It makes me really think about how is it that I am giving of my life to other people in meaningful ways, in ways that matter, in ways that touch them, in ways that are as simple as washing dishes, but in ways of me fully giving up my rights for other people, fully submitting myself to other people. It gets challenging. And I think it gets even more challenging by the fact that it's one thing for me to give up my rights to serve somebody who I love and loves me back, right? I mean, that's, that's one thing. My wife, kind of, I wash her feet, she washes my feet, so to speak, right? And there's times that maybe it's more difficult to love our spouse, but it's, it's relatively easy for us to love our spouse. But how about loving the person who has hurt us? Loving the person who has betrayed us? And one of the things I see throughout this passage is that Jesus didn't pick and choose who he was going to serve based on their own, the way they acted. Throughout this is woven the fact that Jesus was fully aware that Judas had betrayed him, yet he stoops down and washes his disciples' feet. And it doesn't say that he washed all of the disciples' feet except for that dirty backstabbing betrayer, right? It doesn't say that. I can't imagine laying down on the floor, washing somebody's feet, looking up into their eyes, knowing that they had sold me out, that in a couple hours they were going to throw their arms around me, give me a big hug and kiss on the cheek, and that was going to be the sign for me to be taken away and murdered. And yet Jesus did that. And sometimes I think we can look at this and and we can say, well, we have to be careful. We don't want to become doormats for people. You shouldn't serve people who would take advantage of you. And I, I, I think there's a lot of truth in those statements. But I also think sometimes that we use those as an excuse. That we say, okay, if you hurt me, you're done. I'm not going to serve you. And while that would be nice, while I would certainly feel more comfortable if that was the case, that's not the model I see in Jesus. And actually, praise God that that's not the model. Because if Jesus could stoop down and wash Judas's feet, then there's hope for me. Hope for the guy who has repeatedly done things that are offensive and are in direct conflict with God. 
that he looks at and brings pain to him, that are ugly, that are disgusting, and yet he still went from token acts to his total life for me. A sacrifice that's beautiful. And if Jesus, our master, is doing that, why do we think we're be better than that? There's one last point here I want to make, um, and it's just something that kind of struck me as I was thinking through this passage. Clearly, this passage is heavy. There's work for all of us to do. We look at this, and none of us are going to walk out of here today going, oh, cool, I had that one. I got this week's message, right? If you do, you're probably missing the point of, I think, what Jesus is getting across. All of us have work to do. Yet, I also want to say this, that I think we should celebrate that Jesus' model is alive and active in Christians everywhere. Like, I, I come on campus today, and there's a good chance that the cup of coffee you're going to drink today was poured and made by somebody who probably has hundreds of employees sitting underneath them that has a very prestigious job. Yet they came in here in the morning to pour a cup of coffee for you. There's a good chance that the person wiping your kid's nose in the nursery right now might be worth millions of dollars. Maybe they didn't even have to wipe their own kid's nose. Maybe somebody else was doing that for them. And yet they're here serving And that is not a testimony to us as people. That is a testimony to who Jesus is, that Jesus is transforming our lives, that he is washing our feet, that he is making us more and more into his image. And when we see that, I think, to me, I look back and go, that is awesome. That's worth celebrating. That is worth worshiping Jesus to say, God, you are changing our lives. It's slow, and sometimes it feels like it's not working when I look at the the nitty-gritty, but look at what you are doing, not only in our church, but around the world people who are serving you in awesome ways and serving others. So let me pray. And as we kind of close up, maybe we can just spend a moment just worshiping God, just just kind of in, in quietness, just thanking him for what he's done in your own life and those around us. And then asking him, say, Jesus, what, what do you need me? What are you calling me to surrender and to sacrifice next? Let's pray. God, we are humbled by your model. I can't imagine it. It's so far beyond um, my own arrogance and my own brokenness. And yet, uh, I desire, I desire so much to, to follow you, to be influenced by you, to be transformed by you. So God, I praise you that you are doing that. I praise you that you've even done that in my own life, that you're doing that in the life of our church. I praise you that you are changing us and that it's only through you. So God, help us to be more and more like you. Sanctify us, make us new. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.